seen nothing. Well, good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be here with you tonight as we continue our series thinking about the book of life. How does being a Christian, how does knowing that God has called us affect how we live? How does it play into the role we have with other believers and non-believers in our lives? Now, last week we thought about what it means to deal with conflict, and we had some trouble streaming. If you missed that, I encourage you to go back because I'm going to make some references tonight, and it's a really important section of what we find in this whole passage. But tonight we're going to pick up with that and think, how does it play more generally into the way that we interact with people? And so as we do that tonight, let's go ahead and come before our God in prayer and ask that he would guide us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and for your love. Lord, would you help us that we would be people who are gentle, people who are reasonable, people who are known to be different than the world. Lord, would you guide us that we might reflect your light into the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been following the news, or if you haven't been following the news, but you've been going to the grocery store on a regular basis, you've probably noticed an excellent problem. We have an egg shortage at the moment. It comes as one of many of the shortages that we've experienced over the last few years. We had a turkey shortage at Thanksgiving. And we've had a chicken shortage, we've had various other meat shortages, just different kinds of things that crop up. But this egg shortage is making people nervous because we are only six weeks or so away from Easter now, and what happens if there's still an egg shortage when everyone wants to dye Easter eggs? It could be quite a disaster. I saw today that perhaps egg prices could rise by another 80% over the next few weeks if the shortage doesn't improve. But we know that we have that egg shortage. It's, it's clear to us. We go to the store, we buy eggs, and we pay three or four times more for them than we did even maybe six months ago. It's clear there's a shortage. However, in the Christian life, there's another sort of shortage that we often experience. I'd say in the church today, at least in the United States, we have this shortage a lot we don't even realize it's happening. That, that is a shortage of joy. Are we really experiencing God's joy? It's not because the joy isn't there from God, that he isn't providing the reason for joy, but that we get so caught up in everything else, including egg shortages and everything else that we listen to on the news that sounds doomy and gloomy, that, that we lose out on the joy. We're not really living, thinking about the idea that, we're in the book of life. Is that how you wake up in the morning? Is that how I wake up in the morning? Oftentimes, no. We wake up. We wake up worrying about what we're going to do that day, worrying about the big picture things we're trying to sort out in life, all that sort of stuff. We're not waking up and thinking, wow, this is a day that God has made and he loves me. That's where we find our joy, and that's the truth that we can wake up to every single morning. And if you haven't already believed in Jesus, as we go through this tonight, 
this is also for you. This is something that you can experience as well. So let's go ahead and turn to Philippians 4, verse 4, and read a little bit about joy. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Rejoice. That's something that comes up over and over again in the book of Philippians. Paul is in prison, and yet he keeps coming back to this idea of rejoicing, because here's the thing that Paul is experiencing that we often don't as we experience a joy shortage. Paul knows what really matters. He knows what really matters is that Jesus loves him. He knows what really matters is that Jesus is saving him, that he has saved him, that he is actively working in his life to bring forth that salvation, that someday Jesus is going to return, or if Paul dies first, that he will go into the presence of Jesus. And so, Paul has that joy. Sometimes we, we kind of want to ration out our joy because it feels like the price of joy is going up and up and up. It's now $8 a, a jar of joy, and we're not quite sure what to do about it. But what we're told here is that there's an endless fountain of joy. It's right there for us to experience. It, it takes us looking elsewhere, though. And, and, and I was thinking back to the ladies that we looked at last week who were struggling, Syntyche and Euodia, and, and thinking about the argument they were having. And, and we're not told. And Paul doesn't say, I'm now going to say rejoice because they're not rejoicing. But I found myself wondering, was part of their problem that they've lost the initial joy of becoming Christians? That as they went from, Jesus has saved me, and now I get to work with all these wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ, and we get to do gospel ministry, and Jesus is working, and the kingdom's expanding, and they, they started going back to the normal everyday grind because that didn't go away for them any more than it goes away for us. And their, their neighbor was grumpy, their spouse was grumpy, their kids were grumpy. Whatever they had to do for the day wasn't going smoothly. Their, their cooking burnt, their, their, their house was falling apart, all these sorts of things. And they started to take it out on one another. We're not told that. But I kind of suspect there's a shortage of joy for them. And so it's not just random that Paul goes from addressing that need to deal with conflict that we talked about last week and, and then goes into... Rejoice. We don't normally put rejoice right next to conflict, but Paul does because the key to finding ourselves in a place where we don't want to be in conflict with, with our fellow Christians, much less the rest of the world, is to, to be tapping into that fount of joy that God gives us rather than into all the problems that we're experiencing in the moment, letting those write the narrative of our days and weeks and years. Rejoicing is meant to be the center of the Christian life. We see that echoed throughout the scriptures. We see Paul, for example, 1 Thessalonians 5, he makes the same command and he does it in a similar list of things to what we're seeing here. Keep coming back to rejoicing because we are meant to be experiencing that joy. And I think the reason Paul keeps coming back to it in his letters is that we don't always do it. If we did it, if it came naturally to us all the time to rejoice, then, then he wouldn't need to say it. You might be saying, but Tim, I don't feel like rejoicing tonight. I don't want to rejoice. 
I want to wallow in whatever is bothering me right now. I've had a bad day. The week has just got off, gotten off to a terrible start and it's going to keep going that way. I just know it. And there's four more days of the work week and then the weekend's going to be lousy because I don't know something's going to go wrong. I just know it. It's just going to be a bad week. I don't want to rejoice. And we all get into those places. We all experience that. And sometimes we feel like, well, and I have a special dose of that. It's a particularly bad week or a particularly bad month or a particularly bad year, particularly bad life. Paul's in prison. And prison in those days wasn't nearly as nice as prison is today. And I don't think most of us would want to be rejoicing if we were in prison today, especially under false pretenses. We weren't meant to be there. We hadn't done anything. What does Paul say? He says to rejoice because he knows that Jesus is near. That's what he says at the end of verse 5. And let's take a look. Paul maybe has in mind Psalm 145, 18 as he says that. He says, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. What's Paul been proclaiming? What is he calling them to be steadfast and holding on to here in this chapter? It's holding on to the truth of the gospel. Holding on to the truth of who Jesus is. And what are we told by the psalmist there? That, that if we hold on to the truth of God, that he's near to us. We're in prison like Paul. He's near to us. And, and yet, oftentimes, we start feeling like he's more and more distant because, not because he's moved, but because we've gotten more and more focused on all the things that aren't yet right in our lives. Because Christian, the Christian life isn't a promise that God fixes everything in the moment. It's that God will fix everything. And someday we will be in his presence and things will be right. But in the meantime, there's still plenty of reason to have a joy shortage. A number of years ago, I had a zero water water filter. And I, I loved that. I, I really should buy another filter for it. I've been meaning to for several years now, which... Uh, maybe says something about me. I, it's one of those ones you can put in the refrigerator and, and pour the water in the top and it has this giant filter in it and the water runs through the filter and, and out comes water that's removed all the particulates and various other things that you watch one of those scary news reports about what's in our tap water. Maybe right now, especially with all the problems we've been having with, with water in St. Charles, it'd be a good time for me to go buy that filter again. But I've just kind of lost sight of it. And, and even when I had it, I'd lose sight sometimes of changing it because you put in that filter and I, I forgot how many gallons it would do, but I'm not necessarily counting every time I put water into it. And, and so I'd be drinking the water, it'd taste wonderful, and then it would taste maybe a little less wonderful. And all of a sudden I'd be drinking the water and I think, it almost tastes like there's lemon in it. And I, I, I don't understand the exact chemical reaction that happened, but somehow when these particular filters would wear out, it would make the water actually taste sort of like a sour lemon. And, and it didn't happen all at once. And so you'd kind of be drinking the water and still thinking, eh, this isn't so bad. And then you think, no, this water really isn't pleasant at all. And that's often how it is with us and joy. We come to believe in Jesus we're, we're, or we have a really life-changing moment and we see God working. We have tons of joy and it's that pure, refreshing water of joy. 
And we forget to keep coming back to the scriptures and, and reading why we should be joyful. We forget to, to really rejoice when we're at church. We're too busy thinking about what needs to be done there or what other people are doing there or how we're getting along with those people or whatever else. And, and where do we find ourselves? We find that, that that filter of joy in our lives is wearing out and the water that we're drinking now is sour. Our disposition is sour. And now we're not really showing joy to anyone else either. We, we, we're retransmitting that sourness to other people. We're offering other people, hey, have a drink of this, this water that, of, of faith. And, and we hand it to someone who isn't yet a Christian. They take a sip and they say, I can get better water without any filtration at all. It tastes horrible. What are we doing to, to refresh? And, and what happens when we do refresh, when we go back to the basics of, of the gospel and recognize that Jesus loves us, that, that he has saved us, that he is near to us in this moment, not just in the future, but right now, that when we cling to the truth of the gospel, he is near to us now. What happens? Well, I think what happens is the sort of thing we've been watching on the news the last few weeks. One of the few happy news stories, which is the revival that's been happening at Asbury University. I've seen lots of people wrestling with exactly what's going on there. Is it a true revival? Is everything being taught there orthodox? And, and probably the answer is no, because we don't have a bunch of trained theologians down there surveying everything. What do you have? You have students and average everyday people who are just excited about Jesus preaching and teaching and singing, and, and some of it's probably going to be better than other things being said. But here's the thing that we can see. So these people have joy. They're excited about what God's doing. And what's happening when you have a bunch of people who are excited about what God's doing, they're sharing it with each other, and you have people traveling all across the country to come experience a taste of this. So much so they've actually had to announce that today they were closing down the chapel and encouraging churches in the area to take on this revival because the university couldn't handle it any longer because it was getting so big. That's what happens when we have joy. That's what happens. Yes, we should be cautious. Yes, we should test things. We should make sure things are being taught according to Scripture. Absolutely. But let's take some time just to rejoice when God's working. Because He is. He's not just working in those big things that get the news. He's working in your life and my life. Let's ask ourselves a question. Let's ask ourselves a question. Am I, do I let joy go out like my computer just went out? Hang on a second here. Because you know, a lot of times it's sort of like these computers. You forget to press some of the settings, which is what I did today. And what happens when you forget to press the settings? Well, things don't quite work how we want. And it looked like it was still working, but it wasn't. Much like our lives. We think, well, I'm a joyful Christian. I'm building into what God's called me to be and to do. But we've lost it. So here's that question we should ask ourselves. Do I let joy be contagious in my life? Am I willing to, to set aside everything negative that I like to absorb, everything that's worrying me, and just rejoice in what God's doing so clearly that it's actually contagious like that revival? That people around me want a drink of the, the water of joy because they see refreshment coming in my life, not sourness. Well, verses 4 and 5 may somewhat be separate thoughts that Paul's discussing, but they're certainly related. 
And part of what Paul says is we should rejoice, but then when we rejoice, what do we do next? Well, we turn away from jousting in the world. We turn towards joy and away from jousting. What do I mean by that? Let's take a look at verse 5 again. Let your reasonable reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Now, reasonableness, what in the world does that mean? It might be better translated gentleness. That's certainly how it's translated in other places, at least part of the time in Scripture. It's used in different contexts, but we see it used in both the Greek translation of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and it seems to convey a sense of being gentle in the sense that I'm not fighting for myself. I'm not busy advocating for myself. And here's what Paul's saying. He says in verse 5, two things, that the idea that we should be gentle or reasonable and that the Lord is near. And they, they aren't separate thoughts. They aren't unrelated things. Here's what's true of that. If we know that Jesus is near to us, that he's right there with us, we can rest and quit being our own advocate, sticking up for ourselves because no one else is going to as the world often tells us. We can realize that he's in control. And, and when we realize that, then we don't have to insist on our own entitlements, our own things that we feel are going to somehow make things right for us. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19 and following, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a, as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them and its blessings. Now, you might say, well, Paul sounds like a politician there. He's whatever people want him to be. And, and that's not what Paul's saying. And he clarifies that, saying he's still under the law of Christ. But what he says is the things he might want to hold on to, his preferences, his own rights, because he's free in Christ. He doesn't have to, to live as a Jew. He doesn't have to eat certain things anymore. He doesn't have to observe certain days. But if he's ministering to, to Jews in the synagogue, what's he going to do? He's going to respect those things because... He wants them to know Jesus. He doesn't care about feeding his own personal freedoms or preferences. And if he's ministering to the Greeks outside of, of, of the synagogue, he's not going to try to make them act Jewish first like some of the Judaizers were doing. What, what's he going to do? He's going to just try to relate to them in ways that aren't sinful. He's not saying he's going to sin for people. But what he's saying is the things that he may or may not want to do that are just preferences, things that God said, we don't have to do, things that are fulfilled in Christ, he's going to allow those to, to flow with whatever the need is. If he's strong enough to go and accomplish something, but someone else is too weak, if someone's struggling with a temptation that isn't a temptation to him, he's not going to, to push that button just because he can. He's not looking out for his own rights. And notably, this isn't just about the church. Here, love the people that God's called within the church together to serve together. And that's true. That's what he's dealing with earlier, the passage we looked at last week. But he's going further than that here. He says, let your reasonableness or your gentleness be known to everyone. Everyone. No qualifier. 
In other words, let everybody you encounter, if you encounter someone at work or at school, they don't know Jesus, don't try to be like we too often are in the church. We're sticking up for our rights. I want you to know that I can be a Christian and I'm going to be an in-your-face Christian and I don't care if I'm insulting you. I don't care if I'm, a, I'm scaring you. I don't care about anything because I have my rights. No, actually love the person. That's what he's saying. Be gentle enough that, yeah, people know we're, we're Christians. But the reason they know that we're, we're Christians is we're so worried about making sure that people experience Jesus's love that we don't care what happens to ourselves. And that's not what we're all about. Too often today, that is what we're about as the American church. We're going to stick up for ourselves. That's not what we're about. Jesus will stick up for us. He's in charge. He's the one that's going to rescue us. What we need to do is help people to know Jesus. That's what Paul's saying there in 1 Corinthians 9. It's all about Jesus. It's all about people knowing Jesus. That's what should drive us, not, not our own entitlements and rights. And that's easy as long as it's people that are sort of like us, people that are mostly comfortable to be around, but it gets really uncomfortable when we put that anyone at all or everyone qualifier on. You ever get one of those coupons from a store and it's a wonderful coupon? It's a buy one, get one coupon, or it's a 50% off coupon. I mean, one of those really, really good coupons. And you think, I'm going to race to that store because I need to buy such and such. And it's a bit bigger purchase. Maybe you were, maybe your computer's dying and you think, I'm going to go buy a new computer. I have my eye on a nice new MacBook. I'm going to go and use this 50% off coupon to go buy it. And then you read the, the the restrictions, and what do you know? Any really desirable major brand is excluded. Apple's excluded. Bose is excluded. This is excluded. That's excluded. And you think, ah, that coupon isn't really all that good. Too often, that's how we live loving other people. Too often, that's how we live our gentleness. We're going to be gentle as long as people aren't too demanding. They're not too hard to be gentle around. They're not the people that really rub us the wrong way. They're not the people that are really, really far away from the gospel and act like it. But Paul's saying those are the people that we need to be gentle around. We don't need to be up in arms and, and trying to fight them to make sure that they respect Jesus. What we need to do is actually act like Jesus so that they're curious who he is. They, they understand when we get mad. They don't understand when we love because there's no reason to love. Our world knows that all too well. We can hate each other all day. We can fight each other all day. What about loving people? Now, one thing that struck me as I was working on this passage is that this sort of subject comes up. I've alluded to it in plenty of sermons, and it might seem like, well, we're always coming back to this. Why do we talk about this so much? Well, it's because it comes up in the Bible so much. We, we, we're going through different books. We've been working, for example, through Philippians. We're not... You know, we're not just jumping all over the place to and fro. If you've been following this series, we we might switch books every so often, but we come back. We've been working through Philippians for about a year now. And, and what do you know when we do things like that? Well, if we keep working through God's word methodically, we keep coming back to the things that are, are near and dear to God's heart, the things that he really wants us to hold on to. And, and, a, and a huge one is that we actually love people. The people we don't want to love. The people we want to say nasty things about, either on social media or behind their back to our friends or or to our supervisors so that maybe that person doesn't have, have to work with us any longer or whatever it might be. 
God knows that we need to keep coming back to this because it's a struggle. Psalm 86, 5. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. What's the psalmist reflecting to here? That God is near and he's steadfast to us. And he calls us to reflect that steadfastness. We don't have to fight. We don't have to be in a constant position of defense because we know that God is near. He's near right now. And here's the other thing. And people have wrestled with exactly which sense in which Paul is referring to nearness here. Everything I've been saying so far is certainly something we see over and over again in Scripture. And I think it's part of what Paul has in mind, but there's a second sense that Paul has in mind, and that's something he refers to earlier in Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Jesus is going to come again. Jesus is going to subject all the powers that oppose him to his rule. Jesus will be totally, unmistakably, in time triumphant. He already is, but we will see it happen in time. As Paul says that the Lord is near, he's saying, live as if that's right here, right now. We see that over and over again in the New Testament. We see that also in early Christian writings, the same sort of phrasing about the Lord being near because the early Christians lived with the expectation Jesus could be here tomorrow. Jesus could be here today. Are we living like Jesus could be here today or tomorrow? He says we won't know the day or the hour. We can't spend all our time figuring out charts so we know, well, I still have an X number of years before Jesus returns, and we shouldn't. We should live with the expectation that Jesus might return tomorrow. And here's a question we should ask ourselves. If Jesus were coming tomorrow, would I worry about defending myself in this situation, whatever that situation might be that you're currently in? Would I worry about it? Would I spend the time fighting it? Or would I just want people to know Jesus as much as possible before he returns? Here's what happens when we turn to what Jesus has done over and over again. When we come back and say, I have so much to rejoice over. Jesus is near to me now and he's going to return and he's going to be triumphant and everything that's bad will no longer be bad. Every tear will be wiped away and that we will just be in his light forever. What happens when I, I live in that in this moment? Our joy shortage becomes a joy shower that refreshes everybody else. That's what we're called to do and to be as Christians. And may we do that even this very night. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, too often we, we experience a joy shortage. We're, we're angry and defensive. We want to protect what's ours and what we feel we should have and, and should be and should, should do. We don't show very much joy because we get so distracted. It's so easy to do. I do this all the time. I'm so distracted by, by the next thing I need to worry about. Would you help me and would you help all of us to, to instead go back to what you've done for us, that you are near to us now, that you love us now, and that you are returning again, and that you are going to make all things new, take away everything that is bad. As we reflect on that, would you help us to want to spend a whole lot more time showering those around us, those who believe, those who don't, with joy that they might either be refreshed alongside us or might decide to get to know you for the first time and enter into that refreshment. 
That would be what we are. That would be what we do. That would be what we'd occupy our time with. That would be what we'd occupy our hearts with. Lord, would you direct us back to you right now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope that this was an encouragement to you. And if it was, I sure would love if you give it a like or a share. Help more people to hear that the message of Jesus, the message of Scripture, is a message not of defensiveness and fighting and fear, but a message of joy. You really do make a difference when you help get the word out. We have lots more time and opportunity this week to get involved and think about the joy that we have in our Lord. We have Bible studies on Tuesdays and Thursdays. They're online. So whether you're in town or far away, it doesn't matter. You can be a part of our Little Hills family and study God's word together. 7 p.m. both days. Feel free to leave a comment or get in touch with me if you would like information on how to get involved there. Also, Thursdays, we are continuing our journey through the Minor Prophets on This Week at Little Hills. I hope that you'll check that out when it's posted on Thursday. And of course, Sunday worship in person and online at 5.30 p.m., including a brand new series. We're starting a series called Wilderness Faithfulness and Waiting, going through some of the big incidents that happen as the Israelites wait in the wilderness and how they speak to our own struggles and faithfulness and how we come back to a faithful God. So I hope that you'll be there on Sunday for that. If you have any prayers or questions, you can, of course, leave them in the comments below or check out our brand new texting line. Yes, for years I've said, check out the email address on screen. Check out the texting line on screen. You can text anything you want to that number on screen, 833-356-4032 and get a response back from me or another member of the Little Hills Prayer Team. It'd be great to hear from you on there. Hope you have a wonderful and blessed week, and I can't wait to see you at some of these upcoming events.